Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Anybody come to worship the chief cornerstone? Maybe you don't know who that is. Let me say it a little bit more explicitly. Anybody come to worship Jesus Christ this morning? Man, David says it best in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within your gates. Oh, Jerusalem, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be here, uh, excited to see you, excited to be amongst the body of Christ. Never, ever underestimate the, turn it down just a little bit, never underestimate the, 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 the transformative power of getting together with your brothers and sisters. You, you didn't just come here uh, just to see each other, but, but there is refreshment and encouragement that you get from your brothers and sisters. And so I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, I'm a bit eager to preach the word. So if you'll do me a favor and grab your Bibles and, and your devices or whatever contains the word and meet me in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23, back to the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and 2 Samuel You'll find us right there, 2 Samuel 23. Uh, As you turn there, uh, with excitement last week, I talked a little bit about all of the things that were going on here. Uh, I was on sabbatical for three and a half weeks and got back and just some things had happened uh, while I was gone that I was excited about. We had uh, engagements. Shout out to Ashton and Angela. I told her in the first service, just walk in just like this and, and sit down. Uh, but I'm excited about about them and and uh, and and some some babies that were born while I was out, and we had another one this weekend that was born. Uh, Wendell and Lanisha had their baby. Man, Nehemiah Sisnet, excited about them and keep them in prayer. Keep her in prayer. Um, she, she went through a tough labor, so uh, pray for her recovery. Also pray because uh, they have many sleepless nights ahead of them. So uh, no team, no sleep. Amen. So let's continue to hold them up in prayer. All right, let's let's get at it. Second uh, Samuel twenty three. Uh, there's a, a very interesting story tucked away between verses thirteen to seventeen. Very small passage or, or story, but it's been on my heart for almost two and a half years. Uh, yet uh, I have not preached it yet, so I'm excited to do so today. Pick me up, verse thirteen. It says, and three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was at was then at Bethlehem. Verse 15, and David said longingly, underline this, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the, then the three, uh, then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Underline this phrase as well, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink of the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink of it. These things the three mighty men did. I want to preach today, this afternoon, from the topic entitled, Pour Some Out for the Homie. 
Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, I, I do, um, uh, we, we do come before you in full reverence and, and, and full submission to you and pray, oh God, that you would speak to us today. Pray for your Holy Spirit to be present. I'm, I'm grateful that we sang about welcoming your Holy Spirit here. You don't need an invitation. You don't need an invite in any way, Father. You, you just are everywhere. But we, we invite you today, oh God, to help us to experience you. Help us not to ignore you. And so today, oh God, one of the most gracious things you could do is expose the blind spots in our life. May we not come in here and feel like we had it all together, but may, may we run today to your word to find out what it is that you are requiring from us. And the reality is you're requiring more than we're giving right now. And so, Father, would, would you show us that, and convict us, and challenge us and encourage us? It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Pour some out for the homie. Uh, it was 1991 when I, I lived in Jersey and ran down to the basketball court. I lived down the street from what's called Green Grove uh, Basketball Courts. And a group of my friends, we all went down to play uh, ball. And when I got there, uh, I saw my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law was on the side of the court with his boys. But, but he wasn't there because he had next. He, he wasn't there to cheer and, and to root any team on. He, he was simply there uh, to, to drink on the side of the court. Him and his boys had 40s. Now, I don't know if y'all know what 40s are. Uh, let, let me explain it this way. It, it's a beverage in the hood. Uh, they, had, they all had 40s. You, you might know 40s by Old English. In the hood, they say O.E. or St. Ives or most famously uh, because of pretty boy Billy D. Williams, Colt 45. They sell them in a 40 ounce and they still do, but people still drink 40s. They do? Okay. It was a thing in the 80s, in the 90s. And when I walked up to my brother-in-law and his boys and they all had 40s, they cracked them open. And apparently they just had a friend that just died and, and passed away. And, and, and so they took their 40s and they did something that I only saw on TV. They said, let's pour some out for the homie. And they, they all began to pour a little bit of this disgusting malt liquor out onto the ground. And uh, when they did it, I, I was actually shocked by it because I, I've never seen that before. I only saw it in places like Boys in the Hood or, or, or Minister Society or well, what's the other one? Minister to Society or Don't Drink the Juice. And it's such a long title. Right? Like, I don't know what it is. But anyway, they, they, they show it in movies like that. They even showed it in Austin Powers where you, where you just pour a little bit out for the homie. And, and this act of pouring out liquor. It's actually called libation. It's, it's, this, it's this idea that you are honoring someone who died. You're, you're honoring someone who has passed away. And I would argue that this act of libation or this act of pouring out of 40 uh, is not just popular in the hood in the 80s and the 90s, but it's actually an ancient bibl biblical practice. Did, did you know pouring some out uh, uh, pouring out a what the Bible will call a drink offering is a way to honor deity. In fact, let, let me put some Bible here because y'all are looking at me funny. Uh, Genesis 35 verse 14. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. A pillar stone. Here it is. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Exodus chapter 29 verse 40. And with the first lamb, here's sacrifice, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with flour of a hint of beet, beaten oil and a fourth of hint of wine for a drink offering. Now, this act of, of pouring some out 
in order of honoring deity or honoring God, it didn't just pour it out through, uh, through, through drinks, but also by pouring out your life. Because Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. Okay, maybe you'll believe Christ. Even Jesus Christ alludes to this idea, alludes to this idea that he is being poured out as a drink offering. When he sat with his disciples in Luke chapter 22 and he's about to uh, eat his last meal, the Bible says that Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 10, this cup that is poured out for you is a cup is my new is the covenant of uh, my, my blood. In, in other words, Jesus blood that is spilt out on the on the cross acts as a drink offering. After all, it was Jesus that laid out or set out on the cross and they pierced him in his side. And what comes out blood and water spilling out on the cross. And so this idea of uh, of pouring some out for the homie isn't just something that's shown in the hood, but it's a biblical Practice And so what we do is we get to a text like Second Samuel 23 and find an interesting story of two things happening. Someone say loyalty. loyalty. Say a little bit louder. Say loyalty, loyalty. and sacrifice. If you want to sum up the passage that we just read, you can sum it up in those two words. Loyalty and sacrifice. Because here's what I know about loyalty. Loyalty always leads to sacrifice. When you are loyal to someone, when you are loyal to something, you will sacrifice for that. And so in this passage, we get an interesting story of loyalty and sacrifice. Now, let me lay my cards out on the table that the first few verses, you'll have to just give me bear with me because I I have to lay a little bit of foundation. In other words, I'll probably more uh, do more explaining than application. But verse 16 and 17 is where we'll rest and pull out some application. Y'all with me? Y'all going to bear with me? Even if you said no, I was going to still explain anyway. Uh, Verse 13. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, says David was then in the stronghold. And the garrison of Philistines was at Bethlehem. David here in in verses 13 and verses 14 is confined to a cave. Not just David, but David and his boys are stuck inside of a cave. And I don't know if you're asking what I've been asking all week, which is why is the king of Israel hiding in a cave? Why is the king of Israel stuck inside of a cave? He has guys with him. They should be able to fight this army. But one of the things I found out is that this is one of David's more difficult encounters with the Philistines. You got to understand that Israel and the Philistines were always, always, always at battle. And ultimately, Israel will win the war, uh, but they're losing this battle. Because in this battle, King David and his boys run into a cave and they are hiding into in this cave. And to make matters worse, once they run into the cave, the Philistines surround the cave. But but not only that, if you read the rest of verse 13, it says that at the garrison or the gate of uh, of uh, uh, Bethlehem, there are Philistines there, too. Like, like notice the predicament that he's in. Not only that, it's hot right now in this cave. How do I know? Because verse 13 says this is harvest time. Y'all, y'all said y'all were going to let me teach a little bit. Harvest time is the hottest time of the year. So look at the predicament that David finds himself in. It's hot. He's dehydrated because he's longing for water. 
The, the water is, is at the gate of Bethlehem where Philistines already are, but you won't have to go far to get to the Philistines because the Philistines are actually right outside of the cave. What do you do when your situation seems impossible? Well, what, what do you do when it seems like you have no options? Well, what do you do when it seems like you're going to have to take an L and let the enemy win? And that's the exact situation that David finds himself in. But while he's in the cave... He's contemplating and thinking about the water, not just any water, the water at Bethlehem. Look at the text. Verse 15 says, then David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. That is by the gate. Notice David here simply utters a wish. Don't miss it. This is not a command. This is not a directive. This is not an imperative. He is not telling them to do anything right now. He's just sitting back going, it's hot and I want some water from Bethlehem. Now, you got to understand something about Bethlehem. Number one, David was born in Bethlehem. This is David's home. This is which is probably why they put Philistines at the gate of Bethlehem, because they know if David's going to wander anywhere, he's going to wander on familiar ground. So they put uh, soldiers outside of the gate of Bethlehem. But not only that, not only is this the birthplace of David, but it's the place where the crisp, cold water is. So I don't know what David's doing here. Maybe he's reminiscing of days when he was in Bethlehem and he was a shepherd over sheep and he was outside all day in Bethlehem heat. And he's reminiscing of the time maybe he sat down by, a, by, by the well and just drank of its cold water. Surely David would have had times, many times where he drank of the water that was at Bethlehem and probably grew particularly fond of the water. No, you got to understand something about water. All water ain't created equal. Like you like Dasani water. That's the nastiest water. That stuff is so thick. It's like you might as well chew it. Dasani ain't Fiji water. Nestle water is the slimiest water. Like Nestle water ain't like some good cold alkaline water. I, I know we in Brooklyn. Y'all like that tap water in Brooklyn. That's what people tell me. I ain't from Brooklyn. They be like you. Tasha told me drink the water out the faucet. I'm like, nah, I just can't do that. All water is not created equal. So notice something about David. David is not just longing for any old water. I would have respected David if David just said, man, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. He's like, nah, I need a specific water. I need a water from Bethlehem. And David, David here again is not commanding. He's simply uttering a wish. He's uttering a desire. But watch what happens. There are some guys there and they overhear the desire. They overhear the wish. And then they move into action. Look at what verse 16 says, which is where we'll spend most of our time. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. After hearing their king's desire, a few men went out on a secret water mission. But notice they're risking their lives. But please don't miss this for a wish. For desire. He, he's not, he, they're not commanded to do so. They could have stayed right where they were, but they wanted to show their loyalty to their king. And so they, by a wish, went to get water. Don't miss how difficult it is. Verse 16 doesn't tell us how difficult it is to get that water, but let's put all the pieces together. In order to get the water to David, they would have had to fight through the Philistines on the outside of the cave. Okay, after fighting through the Philistines, they would have had to travel 
12 miles. It is 12 miles from the cave of Abdullam all the way to Bethlehem. Once they get to Bethlehem, they then have to fight again because there would have been Philistine soldiers at the gate of Bethlehem. And after fighting there, they would have had to grab the water from the well, bring it up. But don't miss it. They didn't like zap themselves back in the cave. They would have had to travel 12 miles back with water without spilling it. Like, I, I, I pictured this, this, this scene in Golden Child. Remember when, when Eddie Murphy was trying to get the Ashanti dagger and he had to cross over and he had to do so without spilling a drop of the water? That's this scene I picture where these three men grab David some water and they get back. But don't miss it. They can't just walk in because if they could just walk in, that means the Philistines are gone and David could come out. But David's still in the cave. In other words, they had to fight their way back in with water. All of this for a wish. All of this risking their lives for a desire. And what you see basically happen is is straight loyalty. They were loyal to their king and they were loyal so much that they wanted to grant access to his desires and to his wish. And wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I were as loyal to our king as David men were loyal to him? But wouldn't it be wonderful if we would risk our lives for our king? Let me go a little bit a step further. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we gave up some comfort for our king? They are willing to sacrifice their lives for a wish, yet you get commands from your king and you ignore them. Okay, we have 66 books written by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, all full of God's desires and God's commands, yet we read it and ignore it. Not only that, God called some of you specifically to do specific things and you still ignored it. You, you were called to start that business. You still on that job and haven't started that business. Why? Because you look at the risk involved and you don't think your God is big enough to provide for you. So you stay where the paychecks keep coming. And God is like, but... I'm looking at men in, in, in the scriptures that are willing to risk everything, not for a command, but for a desire. And you and I have commands from God and you will risk nothing for Jesus. You won't risk comfort. You won't risk money. You won't risk time. And, and, and when I read this, I'm so convicted because the loyalty that these men show a man that did not die for. Him, but the loyalty that you and I have sometimes see we're loyal on Sundays. But Monday, Tuesday, we, we get disloyal as the week goes on. I woke up singing this hymn. I'm glad you did some hymns this morning, Rob. I woke up with one in my, in my mind. It's called Loyalty to Christ. Y'all ever heard this, t- this hymn where it says, on to victory, on to victory. Christ, our great commander on, will move at his command. We'll soon possess the land. Tis loyalty, loyalty, loyalty to Christ. Loyalty always pays off. I know in the moment it because here's the here's the reality. The reason we're not loyal and the reason we're not obedient to the commands of God is because God often commands you to do crazy stuff. Yes. He, he commands you to do stuff that just don't make sense. I'll never forget when I was talking to, to Pastor Timmy earlier this week. We were in elders meeting and I was talking about uh, when God called us to plant this church. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you are not. You, you got to understand, I was working. I was comfortable working at Verizon Wireless and the corporate side, working in the contract department. And my wife had a job and we had uh, benefits and we had a savings account and we had, you know, we had a 401k plan and we were enjoying. We had just purchased our first home. 
I ain't bragging. I'm just telling you God's grace in this season of our life where we purchased a, a four-bedroom home, two-car garage. We just put hardwood floors in the house. We need to get that money back from them hardwood floors. They were very expensive. Um, we, we had a playground set for the boys on site, on the property, and I'll never forget it. God said, give up the comfort, move to the hood. So you got to understand, what we normally do is we think we've made it when we get out of the hood and get to the suburbs, and God is like, do the opposite. Like, get off that job, raise your... See, because that's the thing about it. In order for me to, to be prepared to plant the church, I had to do a two-year residency, which meant my, my pastor... See, he's a little hood. He says, you're going to raise your support. Because if you can't raise money for your own salary and you can't get anybody to buy into your vision, it is no way you'll be able to lead this church. So I had to raise my own support. I had to live off the means. And my family was like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you leave that comfort? You worked hard to get here. Why would you do it? But when I look back, I think it was the greatest decision of my life. It really was. Why? Because when I see the marriages that are restored in this church, I'm like, that's why. When I see people meet Jesus and fall in love with him, I'm like, that's why. When I see people get out of hardship and fall deeper in love and trust with Jesus, I'm like, that's why. And what is God calling you to do that you're sitting back going, nah, I can't do it. David's men were willing to risk everything, including their life. But we've become more loyal to people than we are our king. We become more loyal to our friends than we are our king. We're more loyal. And that's the thing about us. We're so stupid that we're more loyal to social media. See, some of y'all see some of y'all floss on social media. But what is your relationship with the Lord really like? What is your devotional life really like? What is your commitment to the scriptures really like? What is your commitment to your wife really like? What is your commitment to your husband really like? And God is like, listen, I, I want deeper loyalty from you. And David's men were that. And so David's men should convict you because they show us what they're willing to do for an earthly king that will not die for them to help to grant his wish. But you and I get the commands of God and we're not willing to do it because when God saved you, listen to me very carefully. When God saved you, he did not save some of you. And then there's a part of you that can go out and do whatever it wants. He wants all of you. There's not a part of you. There's not a part of your life that Jesus doesn't want for. He needs an all access pass to everything that you are. There's a story tucked away in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning same, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the things I try to do, Bible uh, study 101, pay attention to everything that scripture says, but pay close attention when all three of the synoptic writers write on the same event. Because what happens is oftentimes Matthew will write on something and Luke won't write on it. Or Mark will write on something that nobody else will write on. But there's a story that's in all three of the accounts. The story of the rich young ruler. There's this story where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And he says, obey the commandments. And then the rich young ruler says, I've done that. In fact, I've done that since I was a kid. Jesus is like, that's nice. Now go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great possession. In other words, he was willing to give Jesus a piece of who he was, but was not willing to give Jesus all of who he is. And I'm tired of Christians that only give Jesus on Sunday. Tired of Christians that come here on Sunday and you are so deep and you are so spiritual. But Monday through Saturday, you're another person. And God is like, I need Monday through because I'm the Lord of it. 
I'm I'm the Lord of the whole week, not a day. So I I need all of who you are, but we are, we, we lack the same ambition that these men had towards David. They were willing to travel 24 miles with a bucket of for water to satisfy his thirst. Now, in an almost anti-climactic moment in the scriptures, David does the unthinkable. Look at what David does in the scriptures. Verse 16 says, then 33 men, uh, then, three, uh, then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was at the gate and carried and brought it to David. Watch what David does. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. These men were probably tired. They probably were thirsty themselves. They might have been bleeding from battle and they sacrifice and they get back 24 miles and they bring this water to David. And David says, thank you and pours it out. See, the Bible didn't record their reaction, but but I can imagine them like this bougie fool. You're really going to pour out the water? Now, he's a king, so they would have said that under their breath. See, I couldn't have been one of David's mighty men because I wouldn't have been that mighty. Like I, I, the, the chapter would have ended right here. Chapter 24 would be record David's funeral. But David, get, the men get back. It doesn't tell us David's face. It doesn't tell us if he was surprised. David takes the water and he pours it out. And when I read that David poured it out, at first glance, this looks absurd. At first glance, doesn't it look insulting that these men sacrifice and risk their lives to get you a cup of water and you pour it out onto the ground? But actually, the opposite is happening. David right now is not insulting these men. He's actually honoring them. How do I know that David is honoring them? Because the gift of water acquired at such high cost represented something that that David knew was so precious that not even he was worthy of that type of honor. The the water that David got here shows uh, required at such loyalty and such risk. David is like, this water is extremely valuable. And anything extremely valuable that doesn't Come to me, I need to give it to somebody else. Notice the text in verse 16 doesn't say David pours it out. It says David pours it out to the Lord. Is that in your Bibles? In other words, David took what was extremely valuable and gave it to God. David took what he could have drank and what could have sustained him and said, I can't live off of this. This is too much honor. This, this, is, too much, this is too much praise to me. And so I'm going to take it and I'm going to pour some out for the homie. Because David understood that, yes, I was born in Bethlehem, but the one that's worthy of this type of honor will too be born in Bethlehem. And he's the one that is deserving of your full allegiance. Not only that, but that one that is worthy of full allegiance and full honor doesn't drink from the well. He is the well. John chapter four, verse 14 says it this way that Jesus says, if you drink from the water that I will give you, you'll never thirst again. Because the water I give you will become spring up to eternal life. Where are the loyal soldiers in this room that are loyal to their king and will sacrifice for? That will take what is valuable. Take what really could sustain you. Take what you really need and give it to the Lord. See, that's the crazy thing. We're not willing to sacrifice anything for the Lord. We, we, would, we would rather live. We've, we've bought into comfortable Christianity. When I read the scriptures, comfortable Christianity is not a thing. 
Jesus says, those who want to live a, a godly life in me will be persecuted. So he's, he's calling you to sacrifice. This entire sermon is simply me saying to you, you need to sacrifice more. Well, well Pastor, I hear you, but what do I need to sacrifice? Your time? Your life? Your money? That promotion? That job? That relationship? That anxiety? See, that is why we use the terminology that, that Jesus is central. Because if he's central, he's everything. He's not first because he's a check off the list and then I can move on. But he's he is the whole list. He's every part of who I am. But we've compartmentalized Christianity to where Jesus is only the thing I do on Sundays. But he's not my life. And I know you're sitting in this room right now going, I know he's talking to me because he's right. I do only come on Sundays. And that's the extent of my relationship with the Lord. But what some of you need to sacrifice your comfort and your 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 fear of sharing the gospel. People live around you and don't know you know Jesus. People, people actually go to work and, and you, you only show Jesus on Sunday so they don't know that you're a Christian. Your neighbors that live next to you ain't never heard you praying in your house. How is this even possible? Why? Because we've compartmentalized Jesus and Jesus wants the all access pass to you. He wants everything that you are because like I said in the beginning of the sermon, loyalty will always lead to sacrifice. That the greatest way you can see if you sacrifice for Jesus, and I'm not making this a financial sermon at all, but the greatest way that you can see if you're sacrificing for Jesus is how you spend your money. Your, your, listen, your bank account is an x-ray to your heart. It, sh- it shows me every time where your allegiance is. It shows me every time where your comfort is. It shows me every time where you're willing to sacrifice. These men weren't willing to just give up money, but their life. Yet we ignore the Lord. Who is it in this room? You know good and well that you haven't really sacrificed for Jesus. You haven't risked anything for Jesus. You you haven't given anything up in order to make sure that you are honoring Jesus. David takes the water and he pours it out. He pours it out because he's like, I'm not worthy of it. Who in here needs to pour out their life? Who in here needs to pour out more time to the Lord? Who in here needs to pour out time and and carve out time for discipleship? You're a believer that has never walked with another another believer. Who in this room needs to sacrifice? Because I'm willing to bet that there's at least half, if not more, of this room is living too comfortable. I'm not talking in, in money. I'm talking just your life isn't marked by sacrifice. It is marked by loyalty, but rather disloyalty. And Jesus is loyal to you in spite of it. Every head bow, every eye closed. Some of you are you just really aren't willing to risk your lives. You've bought into this idea that Jesus simply desires your comfort. And he doesn't. He desires you to die. Die to your will and live in his. Listen, there is no more. The, the most fulfilling place you can live or the most fulfilling place you can be is in the will of God. God is calling some of you to give up everything for him. Father, I pray for this room. This is a great story, Lord. A story of how loyal these men were to their king. Lord, would you help us, oh God, not to Not to be as loyal as them, but more loyal than them. Let me say that again. Help us not to be as loyal as them, but more loyal than them. Why? Because you desire 
And you are worthy of much more honor than David. Thank you that this story is pricking at somebody's heart in this room. Someone who hasn't sacrificed. Someone who hasn't given you time all year long. Someone who hasn't given into your kingdom all year long. Someone who hasn't been obedient to what you've called them to do. Pull them off their job this week. Make them start that business. Make them start that ministry. Help them to realize, Lord, that you are calling them to something greater than they are. Yes, Lord, there's a lot of risk involved. And yes, Lord, there's a lot of uncertainty involved. But Father, when they look back in retrospect, I pray, oh God, that they would say, this was a good season to obey the Lord. Because obeying you will always pay off, oh God. Build an army in this room army of loyal servants loyal soldiers ready to move at your command father if they can move at a wish help us to move at your command give us marching orders and give us strength to fulfill them but i also want to pray because i i, I know how hard it is to obey you it, it is it, i'm almost undersimplifying this it, it's sometimes it's difficult Real folk will say it's difficult. When you call us to do stuff that's just crazy, that just don't make sense, that financially don't make sense, physically don't make sense, but help us to realize, Lord, that you always call us to stuff that don't make sense so that you can get the glory because if it made sense, we would get the glory. So call us, oh God, to deeper obedience in this room. Call us, oh God, to deeper loyalty to you. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Amen.